All right, uh, good morning, and uh, thank you so much for joining us here at St Matthews. Please, I think we should give the band one more round of applause. Just so they'll come back. Uh, they will be coming back, and they're going to finish with a, a great medley, and they are going to slay it, so stick around for that. Uh, as Dave said, my name's Scott. I'm one of the ministers here at St Matthews. It is exceedingly delightful to be with you in church this morning. Thanks so much for joining us for our special jazz festival edition of church here at St Matthews. Now I've got a few quick announcements for us all and then we're going to think briefly about this idea of soul. Firstly when you came in you would have jazzed church or church to jazz and we're kind of celebrating some of the great soul hits this, uh, this weekend today. I'm not even sure if you're allowed to sing soul or jazz but it's so much fun we thought we'd do it anyway. I wonder how you would describe soul music. I mean, you sort of know it when you hear it, don't you? But, but how would you define it? Where did it come from? Soul uh, emerged in the United States in the late 50s and 60s, really out of the gospel music revival, with all its kind of unambiguously religious themes about Jesus and God and salvation and the hope of delivery from earthly trials. But at that time, there was a commercial boom going on, something that was called race music. And what that meant was radio channels, uh, record labels, studios run by African-American entrepreneurs, allowing African-American musicians to create music for African-American ears. And so soul music became popular for black kids to kind of listen to and dance to. And uh, later on, of course, white kids to listen to and dance to as well, when everybody had Motown or Atlantic labelled records spinning on their record players. But at that same time, the, the civil rights movement became bigger and bigger, and it was staging bigger demonstrations. And then soul became more than just party music for black kids. It became a rallying cry for the whole movement, a, kind of a soundtrack to the progress of the civil rights cause. And so soul music was born, really thanks to the generation of post-war musicians who essentially turned gospel music into a secular form of art. Many of you will know the great Otis Redding. He sang that song, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. You know it? You know it, right? This is what he said about soul. Soul music arose out of the black experience in America through the transmutation, that's just a fancy word for change, the transmutation of gospel and rhythm and blues into a form of funky, secular testifying. What he's saying is at the heart of soul, there was an exchange from the gospel to the secular, an exchange from the religious to the political. Now, Ray Charles, he's thought to be the artist who first made soul popular. James Brown, he is known as the godfather of soul. But actually, you can see this exchange most clearly in the music of Sam Cooke, who, along with Jackie Wilson, was really one of the forefathers of soul. In the 1950s, Sam Cooke, along with his band, which was called the Soul Stirrers, had obviously religious songs like Be With Me, Jesus, and Touch the Hem of His Garment. And then he crossed over into secular songs like Twist in the Night Away and Cupid, and the exchange was complete with the release of his 1964 hit, A Change Is Gonna Come, which was inspired by a true-life event in which he and his band were turned away from a whites-only motel in Louisiana. 
and he felt compelled to write a song that spoke to his struggle. But the song became an anthem to the whole civil rights movement. What I'm saying is at the heart of soul, there was this exchange from kind of gospel to the secular, even to the sexy, the case of James Brown, from the religious to the mainstream to the political. Why do they call it soul music, do you reckon? I think it's because that rhythm and that beat and those raspy vocals, it's more than catchy, isn't it? There's something kind of primitive about it and it, it attaches to your bones. That's why you can't help but tap your feet and it surges through your arteries and it just connects with you at that essential deep level because that's what your soul is. It's your essential life. Once you strip back everything you own and once you strip back everything you've done, even your physical body, what's left is your soul. It's the essential real life that we possess And seeing as we're in church, I just want to kind of do the reverse of that music, of soul music, and go back to think about the religious, to think about the gospel, because Jesus said two very famous uh, sentences about the soul. In the midway of Mark's gospel, midway point in the New Testament, Jesus says these things. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Two pretty important questions to ask, aren't they? What's the point of having it all but losing yourself in the process? And what could you possibly exchange that was worth more than your very being once all possessions and all achievements are stripped back? When you stop to think about it, nothing is more important than your soul. Of course, you've got to stop and think about it, don't you? Big news this week uh, was the news that Brad and Angelina were splitting up after 12 years of being together. I know if you're a Swans fan, you think it was something else, but that's the real news this week, right? (laughs) 12 years of being together, including two years of marriage and six children. And what the celebrity gossip magazines have been trading on for years, you know, the potential breakup of Hollywood's power couple has become reality And Brad and Angelina are parting ways, acrimoniously it would seem, which is sad. But moments like those give us pause to stop and think. And you realise that you can gain the whole world, you know, wealth, power, beauty, fame, and still somehow kind of lose. One uh, prominent social commentator looked on the dissolution of this relationship and she questioned what she called the world's most rapidly growing belief system that she called selfism. She says, selfism makes us the place of worship, the idols, the gods, the prophets and the disciples. And it's led millions, if not billions, to ignore fundamental human necessities like sharing and kindness and increased social and economic disparity. At the same time, its practitioners are registering the highest rates of anxiety ever recorded. And she says, could this be the chance, the, the dissolution of this relationship, could this be the chance to stop the world's growing greed? Will we seize this opportunity to make a change, she wonders. Well, this is what she says, I think not. We will probably decide that the mistake Brad and Angelina made was they had too much wealth, power, beauty and fame And their problem was they just didn't get their proportions right. 
does make you think, doesn't it, in an age where many of us like to think of ourselves as spiritual, even if we're not interested in religion per se, those two questions from Jesus, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul, or what can anyone give in exchange for your soul, is penetrating and resonating. What we need to understand is that Jesus is not uh, suggesting just a simple review of our lives so we get our proportions right. And he's not even saying we should give due attention to the spiritual side of life in a vague or generic kind of way. He's making a very specific appeal to his first disciples and all who would be his disciples thereafter to follow him wholeheartedly. In his own words, just a few sentences earlier in the same conversation, to deny themselves, to take up their own crosses and to follow him. So just let me track the logic for you. Nothing is worth exchanging at the cost of your soul. Agreed. There's no value in gaining the whole world, wealth, fame, power, beauty, or whatever it is for you, and yet forfeit or lose your soul. Jesus says, if you want to save it, if you want to save your essential life, then you don't just work on balance and getting your proportions right or invest in spirituality generally. He says, deny yourself and follow Jesus wholeheartedly. That's the way his logic works. But I've got two questions about that, and you might have them as well. Why would I do that? Why would I follow him wholeheartedly? Among all the competing claims on offer, why would I listen to Jesus, especially when it seems to be focused on him rather than me? Second question, how exactly do I do that? Well, that first question, the why question, is simple, really. He brings life. Not only now, but into eternity. And let me say, very few people make credible claims that big about our souls. In just uh, the sentence before those two questions, Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life, the word for life and soul, it's the same word, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. And he's not talking about martyrdom there. He's just saying that if we focus our lives, all our lives, selfism, as that social commentator called it, the globe's most rapidly growing belief system, then this life is all we have and we lose it for all eternity and probably before then. But if we focus our lives on Jesus, that is, lose our life for him, follow him, deny ourselves, lots of ways of describing it, then we will save it, by which he means we will have an earthly life that is filled with purpose and in relationship and right standing with God and others, which is our design, and we will have a perfect eternity to look forward to. And I cannot explain all that is caught up in that right now, but a life lived in relationship with God and others as we were created to be and perfection to enjoy with him for all eternity. Now, friends, regardless of where you come from, not many people make claims that big about our souls, about our essential selves. But that's the offer that he's got on the table. Now, what about that second question of how do I access that? What, what precisely does it mean to follow him, to deny myself, to take up my cross? Well, as it turns out, that also happens by an exchange. Just like we were talking about before when, when soul music changed the religious flavor of gospel into a funky, secular testifying, it involves an exchange. A whole bunch of exchanges, actually. So let me run through them quickly. 
God exchanged all the blessings and entitlements of heaven coming to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, a real man in a real place among the dust and the ashes of ground-level earthly experience. That's the first exchange. Though he lived a perfect life, that is without outward transgression or inward offense to either God or mankind, he was executed on a Roman cross. In other words, he exchanged his perfect life for a criminal's death. And whilst this looked like the ultimate injustice, it was actually God's plan of exchange in which Jesus might take the punishment that was due for all our offenses, both inwards and outwards, to both God and mankind upon himself so that we might be considered forgiven a slate wiped clean. Nobody's perfect, right? Well, in this exchange, Jesus takes our judgment and we effectively get his goodness, not being treated as our imperfections deserve, so that we can be in right standing with God both now and into eternity. And then finally, to access that forgiveness, that clean slate, that right standing, that right relationship with God and the hope of heaven, we exchange hope and trust in ourselves, living life for ourselves, following ourselves to trusting in Christ and living life with him and following him and his word and his will for our lives. So if I can, just allow me to track the logic fully with you. Nothing is worth exchanging at the cost of your soul. No value in gaining the whole world and yet forfeiting your essential self. But if you want to save your soul, your essential life, you should deny yourself and follow Jesus wholeheartedly. You would only do that because he offers us essential life, not just now, but into eternity. And it's only possible because of that series of exchanges in which God exchanges the glory of heaven to walk among us in the person of Jesus. Where Jesus exchanges his perfect life for a criminal's death. And in so doing, exchanges his goodness for our imperfections and offenses so that he bears the punishment for us and we are forgiven. And finally, we access that forgiveness, that relationship, that hope by exchanging trust and devotion in ourselves with trust and devotion to him. Now that's how it works. And I should say, He not only died according to the predictions and plan of God, but he rose again to new life, never to die again, according to hundreds of eyewitnesses. So that he backs up that offer, not just with an even bigger proof, but by paving the way to new life himself by rising from the dead. And I'm really just saying that he's good to follow through on the offer. Jesus says that nothing is worth exchanging for your soul, but you can only save it and gain life now and into eternity by exchanging your trust and your devotion from yourself onto him. Now, you might have just walked in through those doors off the corso because you heard some cool music. You might be interested. You might want to find out more. I would say find out more. Maybe all you want to do is write on a connect card, tell me more. Uh, Maybe you want to take a free copy of the Essential Jesus book on your way out and you can sneak it into your handbag. Maybe you uh, come along to our soul course 
you sign up for that, or maybe you just come back next week or any Sunday. Well, you should do that. Some of you, though, you might have walked in and you think today, actually, I think God is doing business with my soul. And if that's you, I can just commend coming and talking with someone down the front. Feel free to talk to me or Dave who's on lead vocals. Maybe talk to the person you came with. But I would beg you not to walk out those doors ignoring it if you really think God is doing business with your soul this very day. Well, we are at the Jazz Festival as we finish, but we're playing soul because it connects at that deep, essential level. Do love soul. What can you give in exchange for yours? And what good is it to gain the whole world and yet give up that? Thank you so much. I'm going to hand over to my friend Cezanne who's going to lead us in prayer.